When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 14. You're about to meet a man that can show you how he took control of his life and financial future and how you can do the same. He's never been on TV. He's not a millionaire. And he does not know Donald Trump. He is a full-time real estate investor, newly discovered author, and family man. And family man. He does not report to a boss. He creates his own schedule and takes his family on a few vacations every year. He got started investing in real estate with almost no money and a really crummy credit score. And he's going to show you exactly how he did it and how he continues to do it. Continues to do it. You will have to work. You will have to be responsible. However, laying by the beach sipping fruity drinks is a reasonable goal. Without further delay, without further delay, your guru, your guru, um, uh, sorry, your guide to a better life through real estate investing, real estate investing. Matt Terrio. Matt Terrio. Hello and greetings from the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast, the podcast that will show you how to create wealth through conventional and creative real estate investing, so you will have the option to realistically retire in the next 10 years or less, and enjoy the good life while you're still young enough to do so. My name is Matt Terrio, author, full-time real estate investor, and family man. If this is your first time listening to this show, you'll want to do two things. First of all, welcome. I'm glad you're here. But you're going to want to go back and listen to episode one to get the gist of what the show is about and why it's here. I mean, everything we discuss is going to make so much more sense after you do that. And two, download the free real estate investing course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required, at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. It's a step-by-step course of which I reveal everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I use, including the documents and the contracts to invest in real estate using no money or credit. And that's yours for free at freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Okay, so we left last episode with the mentioning of how I'm picking up a 14-unit building in Memphis using none of my own money or credit and how I was able to do it. I'm consistently able to do this by using three simple questions. And today I'm going to give you what those three simple questions are so you can use them as well. You see, there are a ton of people today that recognize the amazing opportunities that exist in the current real estate market. You're probably one of them. And most of those people are researching how they can get a piece of the pie before it's too late. However, most will never get around to taking that first step due to three inherent fears of getting involved in real estate investing. And those three fears are one, lack of knowledge two, lack of time, and three, lack of credit and money. Now, an entire book or series of podcasts could be produced and dedicated to each fear and what it takes to conquer them. And we'll eventually get to them all and probably multiple times. But of the three, the one that is seemingly the biggest obstacle for most investors is number three, lack of credit and money. Lack of credit and money can literally paralyze novice and seasoned investors alike. And without the knowledge of how to remove that wealth-stealing obstacle, 
the unprecedented opportunities that exist in today's market are likely to be missed. They're likely to just pass you right on by like the opportunities of the last market passed most of us by. And what I mean by that is just think, what if you purchased 20 homes 20 years ago? I mean, where would you be today? I mean, most of you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. I'm sure of that. Personally, I'd probably be nestled up in one of my several vacation homes around the globe. I mean, that's the opportunity that existed in real estate 20 years ago. And countless experts agree that that same opportunity, perhaps an even greater opportunity, exists today, exists right now. And there's no doubt in my mind, unless you take action today, you'll be left with that same painful question in 20 years, 10 years, or even just maybe five years from today. And as I've come to know over time, there's no more painful emotion than regret. I mean, it's the one pain for which there is no cure. I mean, you just can't get back time. Now, the current real estate boom, I call it a boom because it's the perfect time to buy and the people that are buying right now are going to reap the benefits. So the current market situation, the current market opportunity is going to seemingly rush right by most people just like the last one did. I mean, it'll blow by most people so fast that they won't even know what happened. Now, I've made a commitment to myself that I am not going to be one of those people. That's why I'm buying as much as I possibly can right now. I mean, for example, my business partner and I, we recently bought 25 homes using none of our own money or credit. And as I mentioned, I'm in the midst of picking up a 14-unit building for almost nothing. And I currently have five properties under contract, and I'm putting together a fund from people's retirement accounts right now. That's a hint, by the way to purchase more of these multi-unit properties of which will build my portfolio while generating considerable tax-free returns inside of my money partner's retirement plans. Now, today's episode is dedicated to revealing a money-raising strategy that, if applied, could significantly increase your investing opportunities and launch you into the realm of considerable tax-free returns too. I mean, the strategy could be the very thing you need to join us in the field day that we're having in today's real estate market. This strategy has worked wonders and continues to do so for me, and it can work for you too. In fact, it will work for you if you work it. Now, there are countless sources for credit and money to finance good real estate deals, and new ones seem to appear by the day. I was just reading an article today that they're prepping the market right now. I don't know if you can believe this. They're prepping the market right now to reintroduce subprime type loans. I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. All the stats and the, and the information was there. It's happening. Might not be today or might not be tomorrow or next month, but it is happening. And as many sources as there are for credit and money, there are probably an equal amount of strategies and techniques to access them. Today, I'm going to share one of these proven strategies that works for a large number of the credit and money sources available. By first learning this strategy, I mean really learning it, it's possible the need to learn the majority of the other strategies and techniques available from the uh, real estate investor gurus, a lot of those strategies could virtually be eliminated just by learning this one. I really like things simple. And if one strategy is applicable to most scenarios, then, then I'm all for it. I mean, you may be different. Maybe you like things to be difficult and complicated. Either way, this is just one strategy every investor deserves to add to their toolbox. Now, this strategy, it consists of a specific sequence of three very powerful money-raising questions that I learned from a successful real estate investor. I didn't read it in a book and I didn't hear about it at some seminar, meaning it's not theory. It's something that's worked very well for that investor 
and it continues to work well for he and I today. And once I committed to a little bit of practice and implementation of the use of these three questions, I was able to raise $1 million for a real estate transaction that not only put a significant five-figure check in my pocket, it returned a 33% return for the source from which I raised the money. Needless to say, that transaction has turned into multiple referrals of investor money. And I still use these three questions today. However, the more that time passes, the less I need to use them. I mean, collecting a large number of referrals should be a priority within your real estate investing business plan. And by putting these questions to use and then being able to perform, I've been able to create a large number of referrals. And that should always be your mindset as well. Because once you've generated a database and a network of referrals, the business of real estate investing becomes easier and easier. And I mean easier. Sometimes that's a, an alert word when you hear real estate investing is easy because we all know it's not. But when you have the right network and you're receiving referrals, whether they're credit partners or money partners or you've got bird dogs out there bringing you deals, the investing part really does become easier. And recently, I mean, I stumbled upon this 14-unit building that just really seemed too good to be true. But after some due diligence, hey, the deal is legit. And I needed a little over $200,000 to make it happen, of which would create an after repair value of over $500,000 good deal, right? We take 200 grand, we turn it into 500 grand. Great deal, right? So I got the deal under contract. However, the timing wasn't right for anyone in my database to come in and partner with me and loan me $200,000 on this deal. So I went out and I put these three little questions to work by hitting the real estate clubs. I hit the networking events. I hit the little meetings and I just put them to work. I hit the pavement. And I've come to recognize these three money-raising questions. They're applicable in almost any situation where the potential for investor money is present. And my favorite sources of investor money have been people's retirement plans and stock portfolios in which the return on their investment has been, should we say, less than satisfying, especially the last couple of weeks, right? They're my favorite sources due to the fact that there are so many people today that fall into this category. Now, there is an amazing opportunity for the educated investor to create significant win-win relationships and be a real hero to those that are lamenting over their stagnant or even diminishing investment portfolios. I mean, I've witnessed the direct impact my business partner and I have had by injecting some positive movement into people's investment portfolios, and it's been very rewarding. And I've noticed marriages that have even been reignited. I've noticed a father and son bonding just because of this. And I've just noticed overall peace of mind has been reestablished in people's lives when it comes to their financial stability. And that's what I mean. There's an amazing opportunity for the educated investor to create these significant and tremendous and awesome win-win relationships and just become, you know, a savior to a lot of people that have some money and they're just watching it get smaller and smaller and smaller. So by learning these three money-raising questions in their specific sequence to a point where they become a natural part of your personality, you should really never find yourself at a loss of words when, when you cross paths with potential credit or money sources. I mean, in my opinion, and I've found that Robert Kiyosaki and Donald Trump, they agree, raising money is the most valuable skill an entrepreneur can learn. Now, if that's the case, does not the rest of this podcast deserve your undivided attention? I mean, could this not be the most valuable podcast or any resource for that matter that you've ever stumbled upon? If so, let's get into the meat. 
And before I do, before I reveal the three money-raising questions, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't address one of the biggest mistakes investors make. A mistake that could, and typically does, render the three money-raising questions completely ineffective. And that investor mistake is the failure to refine one's people skills and building rapport and relatedness, the skill of connecting with people. You see, by underestimating the power of these people skills, I mean, an investor can adversely impact their bottom line. Earning the right to use other people's finances must progress through various stages prior to delivering these questions for these questions to produce the desired result. I mean, earning a person's trust involves creating rapport and conveying competence and being likable. And I I covered this process in great detail on a blog post titled How to Find Good Deals. And I'll probably do a podcast on it later. But if you wanted to save yourself some time and some serious frustration with these three money-raising questions, I strongly recommend that you give that post a read first. And you can visit that post at epicprofessionals.com and then just type how to find good deals in the little search box at the top. You'll be doing yourself a really big favor. You see, while the precise words within the three money-raising questions are very important, your attitude and delivery are even more important. And when working these questions into your dialogue, You'll want to maintain the mindset of, hey, I do this all the time. It doesn't matter if you want to invest with me or not. It's no big deal. That's your mindset. Coupled with the mindset of, my investment, eh, it probably won't even be the right type of investment for you anyway. And initially, this might feel a little counterintuitive. Why do I want to have this mindset that this isn't going to be a good investment for the person? I mean, it's understandable if you have those thoughts. But think about a time when someone approached you with an opportunity. Did they have this attitude? Likely not. And they likely annoyed the crap out of you with their overselling of their deal, right? You probably couldn't wait to change the subject or remove yourself from the conversation altogether, yes? You see, this is how most people pitch their opportunities. They sell, sell, sell. They push, push, push. It's all about me, me, me. My philosophy is to observe what most people do and then do the opposite. I mean, more times than not, this philosophy has served me very, very well. I mean, think Columbo, a guy who used to be on TV. I mean, if you don't know who he is, he was that, the star of the, the popular TV detective show by the same name in the early 1970s. And Columbo, he's played by the actor Peter Falk. He was a scruffy-looking cop who was often underestimated by his fellow officers and also underestimated by the murderer of the day. But despite his appearance and superficial absent-mindedness, he solved all of his cases and he managed to come up with the evidence needed to get his indictment. And, you know, the current-day TV detective, if I'm really revealing my years, uh, the current-day TV detective would be uh, Monk, if you've seen that show. He has a similar demeanor. Columbo and Monk, they would have made brilliant money-raisers using the three money-raising questions. So very important. I'm getting to the three money-raising questions next, but before I do, you must be very clear regarding the desired outcome of the questions. You've got to begin with the end in mind. And your objective, the end, the desired outcome of using the three money-raising questions is simply to peak interest and set an appointment. That's it. You don't want to do any more than that. You want to peak interest and set an appointment. I mean, unless an investor has their checkbook out, pen in hand, and is asking you, who do I make this payable to? You should not give any specifics of your deal. You're just there to pique their interest and set the appointment. The specifics are to be shared at the appointment that you set. And if you're asked questions about your deal at any time prior to that appointment, you'll simply 
deflect. And I'll show you how to do this gracefully a little later. But for now, you need to know your goal when meeting a potential investor is to pique their interest and set the appointment. I've coached several people on these three questions and I've seen so many of them talk themselves right out of the money that was probably available had they just shut their mouth and not try to give an entire presentation and close the deal on the spot. So act like you've been there before. That's so important. Act like you've been there before and actually act like you don't need it. If this is brand new to you, I understand that this is easier said than done. I mean, if you remember, I did mention practice earlier, right? It's going to take some practice or some role playing to get it down where the three money raising questions are effective for you. Hey, I mean, this could result in a five, six, or seven figure payday for you, right? Should you not practice a little bit prior? I mean, don't professional football players practice five to six days a week for a three hour game on Sunday? Do they practice because they like to practice? No, they practice because they want to win during that three hour game on Sunday. Think of it that way. And think of it this way. You're going to practice one way or the other. Either you can practice with a friend or you can practice on live investors. But let me ask you, with whom would you rather make your mistakes? I mean, it's up to you. You know your situation. You know your skills and your talents better than anyone else. Certainly better than I do. But you just never know who is going to fund your next deal. And I'd hate to see you cut your teeth on serious people and lose multiple opportunities. So just consider it. Consider practicing. Okay, so here they are. The three money-raising questions. Question number one. Are you open to 25% return on your money? Now note that the percentage of return will reflect the return of your specific deal. Okay? Are you open to 25% return on your money? It's a very basic question, I know. And you'll want to know, however, that each word is chosen very, very carefully. I mean, just the phrase, are you open to, is what's called a release statement. And today's society, they've just become more savvy, they've become more sophisticated, and unfortunately, they've become rather quite cynical. So when presenting an opportunity today, it's going to be difficult to get a person, especially if it's your first or second time meeting that person, to say yes to an opportunity unless you give them the ability to say no. A release statement accomplishes this. Are you open to? They can say yes or no. And it's still possible for you to get a no. However, you'll almost assuredly get more yeses than if you hadn't used a release statement. So are you open to? Now, the rate of return you insert into your question should be on the conservative side. Now, I choose to quote a return anywhere from two to six percentage points lower than what I anticipate the return to be. Yet not too low for I want the rate of return to pique the person's interest. Now, the purpose of keeping the rate of return on the low side is twofold. First, it's always better to underpromise and overdeliver. It creates happy investors, creates happy customers, creates happy clients, which translates to repeat investors, repeat business and referrals. And two, it will assist you in closing the deal when your official presentation reflects a higher rate of return. You know, if the person was initially open to, tw to a 25% return, I mean, they most assuredly are going to be open to a 28% return at your appointment, right? Of course. It creates the excitement you initially created when you set the appointment. And that is key. Now, the words return on your money, they aren't as important. Yet, I've found that if I leave technical words of investment jargon out like APR, annual percentage rate, or joint venture or net of fees or, or even the word investment. I noticed the person's guard stays down. Are you open to 25% return on your money? I mean, the last thing you want at this point is for the person you're speaking with to 
immediately fall into business mode or negotiation mode. I mean, remember Columbo. Remember Monk. Act like you've been there before and act like it's no big deal and keep it as informal as possible. I mean, you can experiment with different words if you'd like. There certainly are more ways to skin a cat than just the one. But I recommend you learn and use the words verbatim until you get very comfortable with them. And I mean very comfortable before you start experimenting. I mean, I've proven these exact words to work. So why reinvent the wheel? Now, mind you, before ever engaging in such a conversation, before ever asking that question, you'll generally need to have completed two activities. First, you should have a deal in place, preferably secured and controlled under contract. That's why I teach what I teach. You see, by following the sequence of the epic approach, you are set up to win using these three questions. And second, before you can insert a percentage of return into question number one, you should know the return on investment. You got to know your ROI of your deal. You got to know what that's going to generate and how much of it you're willing to share with your investor. I mean, if these two activities have you lost right now and seem to be something of the sorts of a foreign language, maybe learning these three money raising questions might be putting the cart before the horse. And if that's the case, no problem. We've all been there. But I do have a few suggestions if that is your scenario. And they can be found at theinvestorintroduction.com. Theinvestorintroduction.com. And there you'll find an explanation of three specific options for your financial and real estate investing education. I'm actually, personally, a product of all three of the options presented there. And I certainly wouldn't recommend anything that I haven't experienced and invested in myself. You see, without an education and the ability of taking these first two steps, securing the deal and figuring your ROI, I mean, you really run the risk of appearing as the all talk, no walk guy or gal, or even worse, incompetent. I mean, there are too many of these types out there. We don't need any more. So invest in your education. You got to know what you're talking about before you use these questions. So question number one is, are you open to 25% return on your money? Question number two is, really? How much would you have available for that type of investment? Now, if you didn't receive a favorable reply from the first question, are you open to a 25% return on your money? Like if the person says, no, I'm not open to that return. I recommend you disengage from further investment talk altogether unless they bring it up again or you run the risk of being the sell, 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 push, 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 me, me, me guy. And nobody likes that guy, by the way. I mean, you'd be surprised by the act of just disengaging when you receive that unfavorable reply to question number one. You'll be so surprised by just disengaging because frequently you will later hear something like, hey, uh, you know that 25% return you asked me about? When you hear that, then you resume with the three questions. The Columbo attitude, it's critical during this question. And so are the words used. I mean, depending on the relationship you have with your prospective investor, a cautious manner when asking about a specific amount of money is best. How much would you have available for that type of investment? Or how much available would you think you'd have for that type of investment? And the reason to be very cautious and careful when asking that question is because some people are just very private and reluctant to discuss how much money they have. So by beginning your question with, really? And by saying it in an almost surprised and confused manner, you won't appear as you're ready to pounce as soon as a number is revealed. The phrasing, how much money would you have available for that type of investment, doesn't necessarily suggest that you actually have such a deal and that you're after their money. The last impression you want to give here is that of a drooling wolf chomping at the bit, maintaining the it's no big deal attitude when asking question number two. 
will almost always get you an answer. Now, if you've gotten this far and have maintained your composure, <laughs> congratulations, you're almost there. So be sure not to destroy your momentum by showing either the emotion of excitement or disappointment when receiving an answer to question number two, when they actually tell you, this is how much money I have to invest. This is what I would have available for that type of investment. Remember, you do this all the time and it's no big deal. If your prospective investor gives you a lower number than you can use, I mean, you don't want to insult them with a disappointed look on your face. You do this all the time. I mean, a possible segue out of the conversation might be, hmm, good, well, I'm working on a few things and I'll keep you posted. I mean, you never know when an opportunity may cross your path when what he or she had to invest is exactly what you could use. Now, if your prospective investor gives you a bigger number than you need, or maybe even the biggest number you've ever heard, maintain your composure like you work with that type of money all the time. Been here, done that, right? In other words, refrain from grinning ear to ear and dancing a jig. Remember, you've been here, you've done that, and this is no big deal. Now, question number three. Last question. Huh, my business partner, you know, he's putting together a deal just like that. Would it make sense for me to arrange a conversation for you? Now, no, if you do not have a business partner, then it's more like, hmm, I'm putting together a deal just like that. Would it make sense for us to get together and discuss? You see, what you've done here with the, starting off with the, huh, is you've demonstrated a little doubt or uncertainty as to whether this investment is a good fit for your prospective investor. Even if it's a perfect fit, the sense of uncertainty must be present. I mean, a response of, boy, <laughs> do I have the perfect investment for you? I mean, that can and typically does activate business or negotiation mode in your prospective investor. You don't want that. A casual conversation amongst friends just turned into, I'll have my lawyer call yours in the morning. And if that happens, I mean, the deal is dead. So keep it casual. It's no big deal. Now, although not essential for this strategy to work, a business partner to refer to works very well. You see, by mentioning a partner, you've done two things. First, it almost acts as a release statement in the sense that your prospective investor now has the ability to say no if he's not interested. Remember, people will not give you a true yes unless you give them the ability to say no. I mean, often people will be afraid to say no to your face and you'll just get the brush off. Referring to a partner often removes this dynamic. And second, should the prospective investor begin to ask questions about the deal, it's much easier to deflect those questions by playing dumb and edifying your partner as the mastermind behind the deal. And I'll cover this a little bit more in a minute. Now, the final portion of this question, it's critical. At this point in the series of questions, it's almost impossible that the deal doesn't at least make sense for the prospective investor to discuss your deal further. So the phrase, would it make sense, always gets a yes. And because it does get a yes, the request for permission to arrange a conversation or an appointment is added to the end. If they say yes to one, they say yes to both. You have now been granted permission to pull out your calendar, to pull out your organizer or your worldwide webby device of choice to set an appointment and set the appointment right there on the spot. Set it now. Don't make the mistake of getting this far and letting the prospective investor off the hook, so to speak, by agreeing to talk on the phone next week to set something up. I mean, you've been brilliant to this point, and the last position you want to be in is the chaser. I mean, it's almost impossible to maintain the 
it's no big deal attitude chasing your investor, playing phone tag, trying to set an appointment. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be in that position. And besides, after a few days, the prospective investor's peaked interest has almost certainly subsided and you'll likely have to start all over again reminding the investor why you're getting together in the first place. Book the appointment on the spot. Now, once the appointment is booked, once it's booked, change the subject of conversation. You've got the appointment. Objective accomplished. Remember, that was the end result that you were looking for. Objective accomplished. Desired outcome has been achieved. Now let it go and then change the subject. Ask about his or her family. Ask about his or her pets or ask about his or her hobbies or comment on the hors d'oeuvres, whatever. But change the subject and stay away from further business talk, further investment talk. Stay away from race, religion, and politics. I mean, avoiding race, religion, and politics, I mean, that's another podcast altogether. Trust me on this one. Avoid those subjects. They are deal killers. Change the subject to something light to family or hobbies or pets, something like that. And usually a simple change of the subject, that's sufficient. However, every once in a while, you may get some questions about the details of the deal before they'll commit to an appointment. And this is where the business partner can really come in handy. And my answer, it's always the same. If I'm asked something like, so where is this deal? Or how long before I get my money back? Or how does the deal work exactly? And I'll respond with something like, No, not something like, I always respond this way. I don't know. All I do know is, insert additional interest-peaking comment. Should I set it up? You see, the story you insert will vary from conversation to conversation, from deal to deal. Typically, it would be something to the effect of, I don't know. I mean, all I do know is my partner has done this before with great success. Should I set it up? Or, I don't know. All I do know is my partner has a waiting list for this deal. Should I set it up? Or, I don't know, all I do know is my my partner is a genius at mitigating risk and maximizing returns. Should I set it up? Hopefully that's clear on how to handle any questions. Stick with the I don't know, all I do know formula. Insert your vague interest generator and do not, I repeat, do not forget to ask again for permission to make the appointment. Should I set it up? Do not forget to ask the question again. Conversation will die unless you do. Now, should you not have a partner to refer to or a response like, um, this isn't really the time or the place. I mean, should we get together on Tuesday or Thursday? That'll typically do the trick. Just deflect like you're not here to discuss business or there might is, there's too much to discuss. This is, really isn't the time or the place. Would Tuesday or Thursday be better? Don't forget to keep asking for the appointment after you answer their question. So there you have it. Those are the three money-raising questions that raised $1 million for one of my real estate transactions the very first time I committed to using them. And they've worked for me this month in securing a 14-unit building in Memphis. And they continue to serve me well as they are directly responsible for my ability to share the fact with you that I have yet to use one dime of my own money or one point of my own credit to complete any real estate transaction since I've used them. And that's over 60 transactions in the last two years, 18 months. And you'll notice there are a lot of working dynamics in using these questions. I mean, I went into extreme detail of why each word is there, why each phrase is there, and how it's phrased and why it's phrased that way. That's why they take some practice. And you also probably notice, though, they are really simple questions. I mean, people ask me all the time, how do I find the money for my deals? Are you really doing these deals with none of your own money? I say, yes, that's how I do it. 
completely transparent. I've given you every single detail, every sing single little uh, bit of the minutiae of how I do this. But I practice them. I role played with my business partner. It's not any more complicated than that. And just as the football player practices five or six days a week for those three hours on Sunday, if you practice these questions with that type of intensity, and you don't have to do it for a lifetime like the football player does, take a week, take two weeks, practice them with some intensity, and I guarantee the real estate game can offer you a whole lot more money and a much cleaner, better, greater financial future than in that NFL athlete. It's not any more complicated than that. I suppose the complicated part is actually using them. You see, now you know them. Whether you're impressed or disappointed, doesn't matter. Now you know them. But this knowledge, it doesn't do you any good unless you use it. And maybe you know of a better way. But are you using it? Remember, to know and not do is to not know. Okay? So a quick recap of the three money raising questions. Question number one. Are you open to 25% return on your money? Question number two, really? How much would you have available for that type of investment? Question number three, huh, my business partner is putting together a deal just like that. Would it make sense for me to arrange a conversation for you? Practice these questions and the fear of lack of credit and money will no longer exist because you'll know exactly on how to access it. When your freedom it lies just beyond your fears. Face your fears and they will no longer control you. You will control them. Face your fears and your fears disappear. Don't let the lack of credit or the lack of money prevent you from taking the next step in your real estate investing career. Now, if you see yourself being stopped in the growth of your career by the other two real estate investor fears, lack of knowledge and lack of time, I recommend visiting theinvestorintroduction.com. I mentioned it earlier, theinvestorintroduction.com. Okay, go check that out. Maybe there's something there for you as well. Okay, so that's it for today. And until next time, as a very wise person once said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. To your success, I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. Thank you for spending this time with Matt Terrio and the Epic Real Estate Investing Podcast. When you have a moment, stop by iTunes to leave your comments and let us know what you think of the show. And if you haven't done so already, get started investing today by visiting freerealestateinvestingcourse.com to access Matt's free course, How to Do Deals, No Money Required. Until next time. To your success. To your success. To your success. To your success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.